Bromford. Are you EastEnders? The EastEnders are taking over this podcast. Listen, I swear. It's only rolling. It's only rolling. Welcome to Surviving Society. This season's bald theme is how we continue to deal with the legacies of empire. Welcome to Surviving Society. We are really excited today to be joined by Sophia Akel, who is a lecturer researcher, attainment gap advisor, yeah. very much needed in these racist streets, <laughs> the streets being the university, yeah. and author of Inside and Outside of the Report about Goldsmith and racism, attainment, and just, like, that, that's right, that's how I would describe it. Yeah, so the main purpose was to look at student experiences in relation to race and how that affects the attainment gap, because loads of people were like, oh, we don't know what creates the attainment gap, but... So there's, it's really multifaceted and there's loads of reasons and causes. So I just wanted to look all the way across the board. So it's quite broad. Mm-hmm. What is the attainment gap? The attainment gap is a difference between a first class or a two one degree between white and black and ethnic minority students, in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, between getting a first or a two one. So the biggest gaps that are seen are by race and not by gender, disability, class or any of those other areas. So what does the report tease out and what are the causes for these things? Obviously it's multifaceted, Ooh. but... What would you say the main causes are that you see? Broadly, institutional mm. racism, 100%. Um, and the way that manifests is in loads of different ways. So it can be from the way students experience the classroom. It could be how they are, interact with one another, right down to marking biases. So mm-hmm. there's racial barriers throughout every single like key juncture of the student life cycle. I would say yes, because that's my experience. How would you convey that to... Are not a, a white audience. This is because I don't think they truly understand it. So they would they say they don't understand that there's racism or an institution can be racist because it's based on the notion of a meritocracy. So we've got all got here on on, yeah. a, on, a, on the basis of our grades or whatever it will be, right? But we've all got here on merit. So this thing merit, quote unquote, yeah, this thing doesn't exist. So if you're getting bad grades, you're just getting bad grades because you're thick, effectively. That's 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 the that's the first yeah. argument. So how would you kind of convince someone? to say that these things are real? That's a really big question. Well, I'd probably try and assess their level of fragility because if they're taking it personally, then there's there's the huge barrier and they're never going to understand it. Once, like We have to get past that first. <laughs> so when I launched the report, there was someone in the audience saying that they were concerned about their fellow staff members and how do we know if this is true, basically? Oh so being God. very dismissive, so it's like, OK, so you're going to stand up and say with your chest that these 200-plus students are lying. Mm-hmm. When I talk to white people about this kind of stuff, I try and assess where they're at first, um, but then take them through the basics. So, like, it's easy to speak to you because you know what's up, to so be like, oh, it's institutional mm-hmm. racism. But I'd probably break it down more for people that are new to it, even if they are people of colour mm-hmm. and they don't mm-hmm. quite understand oh, of course, how... Yeah. Yeah, how it manifests. So I'd probably go through, like, some actual real-life examples. <laughs> but, but mixed with stats as well, where I can, because some people are stats-driven, some people are qualitative-driven, so it depends on, on your audience. <laughs> that's not a straightforward answer, I'm sorry. No, 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 <laughs> no, no that's but that's the right answer, because I okay. think... I think this is the thing, when you come to explaining something like as inferior as, as racism, it's hard to pin down, right? Mm. To try and to convince... I understand it because you experience it. You understand because you experience it. But to someone who has no concept of this, and it almost seems like we're just complaining, mm. trying to break it down for them and trying to say, look, I've got empirical data, but also lived experience, right? So it's, it's, it's a hard thing to do. And, and I think it's a, it's a difficult task because especially things like an institution, like a university, mm. they're kind of like 
held as some kind of oasis that's kind of immune to social effects, right? So we never think universities can be racist because mm. they almost seem cut adrift. And I think that's one of the problems, like institutions, especially the elite ones, because they're so highly regarded, they've been allowed to get away with a lot of, a lot of fuckeries and no one said the fucking thing, right? Mm. Where do we start with these places? I had a massive argument with these guys and I said, I think you should know better. You're all academics. You spend a lot of time reading books and researching. How can you let this fuckery carry on? I've met a lot of academics I wouldn't necessarily regard as smart. I don't know if that's the right thing to say, but like, maybe they're smart about whatever specific area they've studied about, but it doesn't mean they know everything. And I've also found that with the more elite institutions, they already know. Like, they might not be like openly admitting it, but they know that, that there's massive gatekeepers there. But it's the liberal ones that you need to watch out for. This is what I'm right. <laughs> Repeat that, please. Sophia. It's this the is, liberal ones that you've got to look one, out for. This is, one, this is the thing that honestly, on a daily basis, makes me want to put pins in my eyes. Mm. Like, the way certain institutions market themselves on being liberal, radical, appropriating, like, particularly some universities, not naming any names, black radical traditions. They (laughs) are the ones to... Like, all this... Sometimes, like... And I talked to Paulette Williams, who is the founder and director of Leading Roots. We work at Black Black Academia and other Leading Roots projects Mm -hmm. together. We talk about this all the time. The conversations around, like, Oxbridge, basically and how much they dominate the discourse around race and racism in higher mm. education is such a red herring because it really distracts from the things that are happening at other universities that a lot of black and people of colour that attend. Mm. Because they've got a lot of people there, as you said in our pre-chat sphere, there's this impression that they've somehow overcome race. Mm. And that's not to say that Oxford and Cambridge are these, these <coughs> racial utopias and they're doing the right thing. They're not. They're absolute fuckery as well. But the starting point has surely got to be with the places where most people go that are marketing themselves on being like these amazing utopias and actually they're some of the most violent places for staff and students Mm. because they think they're above it Mm. they think they're above race they think they've done it we've done it we we know what we're doing for my experience I don't think they think they've done they still carry that tradition that they are especially ones so obviously since that the what was it 1993 when all the uh, politics became universities right so all the universities still, who are originally universities, are still very white spaces still. So from even ones like Birkbeck and stuff like that, there's still that kind of position where they want to guard that space. Go to UCL, which is, markets itself as a global university, and I, go, and I sit in my lecture. And I sit And I sit in a lecture and I'm like, and I've got a dude saying to me, how did, how did you get here? That's what my man said to me. And I said, wow. well, I was like, what? Because I'm black. And he said, oh, I did. I said, did you, you say that? Yeah, I said, I said, so, so I said, but I said, I'm not going to argue. I said, we can have a conversation about that thing, yeah? Mm. But because there's not a lot of black people there, it's not because we're dumb, right? And I said, so we need to have a conversation. Oh, I won't say anything, but I said, all right, boom, I'll speak to you afterwards. And anyway, you got it. Outside. Yeah, no, listen. <laughs> I said, outside. <laughs> but listen, it wasn't a problem. But I said to the man, like, what you're saying is so loaded and so problematic. I said, what? Because in this lecture room, there's just me. I said, that is a problem. Mm. The fact that it's just me. The, even the whole thing, like when I was sitting, the building that my geography building, it's called the Pearson building. And it's named after the eugenicist. The whole thing is, it's so fucked, but you have to understand that these, uni- these institutions were part of the colonial system. So you have to understand that they have a long tradition of producing the, the right people to go out and run the empire. And like I said, when you're, you're never really post-colonial because mm. these things are part of you. And it, the conversations might change, but the dynamics are you're still breeding people to go out and run this country or run the institutions. 
and the institutions, government, as you can see, is mainly white. No, I hear you. I guess it's more for me, like, having a Professor Stuart Hall building, but at the same time being very violent towards your black and brown but, yeah. students. Like, I don't know, it's that sort of thing that winds me up. Like, yeah. you ge- but at least UCL, like, yeah, we're still naming our buildings after you did Genesis, like... But weren't they still be, doing their conferences? They're still doing their... Yeah, exactly. Like, at least they're not trying to hide behind this, like... Oh, we do things differently. Like where? But you have that. T- you have that tension, right? That tension between what what we are, right? The, a democracy that's supposed to be open and liberal and pluralist, mm. pluralistic. So you have this tension of what we're meant to be and the, and the, and the reality, right? Yeah. I've always found that if I'm going into a space like an elite institution mm-hmm. or you know, super white area where people haven't ever proclaimed to be liberal. I feel more comfortable in dealing with people in that space because I know what to expect. You know what but I, it's the people that are acting like Listen. they're already on the same page with you, the ones that... So if this is what I said, that's what I've been saying all along. I said, yeah. right now, I said I, I have more <coughs> constructive conversations around race mm-hmm. with skinheads than I do with normal white people. Why? Mm. Because skinheads are, are, are conscious about this thing called whitening. They are aware of it, Li- right? Liberalism is going to kill us. It's, it's, killing, but it's, like, but like I said to you, it's, it's killing themselves, right? They will, they will sacrifice us in the name of liberalism just to keep their place. Like, but look, but you, they claim that they're better than their people, no, but, but no. actually they control so much of the means and the mechanisms to but, keep things in place, and they refuse to change. No, but what you're seeing is a backlash of this. Like, so liberalism is, is failing. Its own people is failing. So this is why you get Trump, and this is why you get Brexit, because these people are saying liberalism is not working anymore. So it's failing. Mm. And right now you see a liberal backlash. That's why all these kind of terms like snowflake and because they don't want liberalism, but it's turned into authoritarianism. Mm. And like I said, in European history, they haven't got a good experience of this, right? This always happens. Well, not always, but there's, a, there's been a, a pattern of this happening. Current sort of climate, so we have spoken on this podcast before about like the free speech people. In this moment where you're getting that sort of backlash to liberalism is what Tiso's saying, mm-hmm. and more people wearing their sort of badge of honour of being feeling like they can just discuss like white genocide and all that stuff on campus within mm. the university settings. What do you think that's gonna happen? Obviously that stuff hasn't gone away, sorry. Never gone away and it's it's sort of like developing into something new. Like in terms of higher education now with the current government we've got, like what is the future of higher education for marginalised bodies on these campuses. It's scary, isn't it? Mm. I know that's quite a big question. These are such existential yeah, questions. Yeah, they are. They, we do the existential <laughs> questions on here, but it's like, it's yeah. scary. Because who protects us? Yeah. Well, what campus was it that there were posters came up around? Bristol. Campus? It's oh, okay yeah. to be white. Yeah, see, I reckon there's going to be more of that happening. Because... Yeah. I, I can just imagine SMT quake it, like being like, oh, what do we do? You know, if we've got these students of colour talking about race, then how are we going to silence these white students? And then especially the ones that are feeling the fragility are going to be like, you know what, right on, like, keep talking about your white fragility. Like, I just don't see a way that we're going to move past whatever's happening now unless it's actual action, meaningful action. And and I think something I've learned, not necessarily here, is not all skin folk are folk. And that can make it really difficult to do the work that you need oh, to do need as well. Collaborators. Mm. You always need collaborators. Mm. But you get people that go up and they're climbing the ranks and they're known for the work that they do. But then once they're up there and they've you know, created a name for themselves, it's like, oh, actually, I want to stay in the job, so let's not actually do anything about this. Mm. And then you get everyone else that's just operating in these little silos they're doing the work for free. Mm-hmm. And then it just, yeah, it's tiring. But that's something I've noticed in academia. This is the, the story of for our struggle. There's going to be, they get, we get co-opted. So there'll be someone mm. who becomes a collaborator and it becomes problematic for the whole movement. And so we end up doing more labour. And, and the person who's kind of ridden on us has got to a height. And like, even like someone like Trevor Phillips, 
Now he's oh, he's someone. Needs to... <laughs> he literally needs to. So listen, my man, boom, you done big things, but now the things that you're saying are problematic. They've always been problematic. But you're like. But you're coming on. You're, then there's social media. It's a problem for me. You're saying it and then, coming on questions. Yeah, like saying to white people that it's black culture. That yeah, black culture like, and all this. You always get collaborators, and I feel sometimes I used to get really upset about this and think to myself, "Ah, oh, are you so upset?" But that, like, these, these, that's that's how people roll, man. Mm. So you have to let people do their thing, man. But mm-hmm. that's what I feel like. I feel like, like the work you're doing, Sophia, is so important, mm. and we're so grateful for what you've done. Like, but that process of doing the work you're doing day in day out writing the report getting the feedback from the report it's so traumatic like it's so emotionally draining Mm. like I don't know if I can do this forever doing that work in these spaces trying Mm. to get more social justice more equity all that sort of thing it takes like you said to me it takes a part of you it takes a part but that's the point right and if you read WD Boys he says that like you have to be willing to give a piece of yourself for this thing right Mm. and we have because look where we are like you, you have to think back to your parents' times, and you think like, listen. So their goal was to have a child like yourself mm. go to an institution like this, and then when you have your child, if you have a child, boom, it's it's another. You've gone yeah. clear, right? Mm-hmm. But you've done that work, <laughs> and 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 this is what I'm trying to say to people: like, given all the stuff that we've come across and we come against, and we're thriving, we're winning. So all the, all these people that you see having these big problems, they're on the wrong side of history now. You're on the wrong side because right now all the stuff you've tried and done hasn't worked. And the stuff that we're doing, it's obviously working, right? Because it's pissing people off. Diversity and inclusion and all that kind of stuff, they're just giving us lip service right now. Like, I'm quite cynical, even though it doesn't make sense since I'm working in this area, that things are going to change that much. Like, and I've only been working in academia for a few years and I already feel like I've given so much of myself to it. That's sort of what my long-winded yeah. statement here was a question of how do you cope in doing this work? To be honest, I don't. Like, Mm. I don't... Self-care is something that I'm trying to learn how to do, but even in this time since I've been at Goldsmiths, I've been at Goldsmiths for, I guess, including my time at the student union. I was in student union before the college. I already take, like, I've taken time off just to recoup myself because it's just full on. It's stressful, right? It is Mm -hmm. because you're just constantly... It's not like you can just, at five o'clock, you get to go home and that's it because even during your work hours, you're constantly reflecting on your position with the work that you're doing as well. Constantly personal. Mm -hmm. And then when you've got people that are in denial... It's frustrating. Yeah, yeah, it's denying your experience and also knowing how bureaucratic and how big these things are. Like, it's... In the moment, it's really easy to be like, look, all the work that we're doing. But Bureaucratic it's a change. But without that work, right? Like you said, it's always going to take a piece of you. But without that work, <clears throat> that work's vital. It's, it's not just for you, man. It's for, it's for everyone. It's a mad thing that we always have to be doing the work. And this is part of the dialogue that I'm trying to say that, that for right now, the conversation is for white people to have their own dialogue about themselves, right? Because We've told them. I've told you about a billion times, man. Like, stop asking me now. Yeah. Like, read a book, bro. Or, yeah. or if you don't want to read a book, go Netflix or Google it. Yeah. Simple, isn't it? Diversity is an is it almost an industry, right? So people making money out of it. But when mm. I when I go when I when I've when I've been involved in work, like sometimes their intentions are in the best of places, right? Sometimes there's some people in the institution that really do want to help diversity, but equally the institution itself has a life of its own, mm. and people have an interest in maintaining the status quo. So there's a kind of a tug, so I always have to speak about diversity, but why Why just me? What, because I'm quite vocal? Oh, because you're the only black guy in the thing. So that you, it falls to you to talk about all things about diversity. So you're thinking, okay, but now you're 
doing the very thing that you said you wouldn't do by marking me out. Yeah, but if you don't do it, he's, he's going to do it. He's going to do it, exactly. Yeah. So it becomes one of the things. So it's, I have yeah, to resolve that contradiction myself, say, listen, yeah. I'll be that guy. It's really hard, isn't it? I mean, you were mm. talking about um, how much it's taken from you, Sophia, and then to you were saying it's about beyond just us as individuals. Mm. Um, something that, yeah, Jason said not long ago, but I was feeling really just alienated by academia. Mm. And it was just like, it's bigger than you now. Mm. Like, you have to think beyond like what's happening in your life. But it's so difficult. I feel like it has to be like a combination of things. Of, like, yeah, us like, thinking yeah. about our well-being and our sense of self, but also thinking about how we're trying to help, well, work on the work that's been done by generations before us, and then we're doing the work now for the generations yeah. coming through. But that's how, hard, that, but that's how why I see it. So when I look at someone like Malcolm X or someone, man had a family mm-hmm. and a life, but you sacrificed that thing for that, for that bigger thing. Mm-hmm. And now when you look back, but you have to remember, he was human, man. So these people cried. These people were depressed. Mm. These people, they doubted themselves, right? But you, and all the things that we feel, you think, I, just, I can't be fucking asked, What's man. the end goal? It's just in academia. What's our end goal? What do we want? Yeah, because at the same time, I feel like you can't just get up and kill yourself for these institutions that are going to forget about you the next day. Mm. But, like, also, it is a bigger picture. So I think that's how it's so contradictory that I'll say these things, but yeah, I'm still in the no, job. No, but I, I, think so that's, uh, I think that's human. Yeah, how did, you but you get need into, to... how did you get into this work? Student activism. Yeah. Sick. Yeah, that's why I find it so hard working in the confines of all this bureaucracy and, you know, I hate language policing. You hate you hate I hate it. bureaucracy. I, 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 I never do what I'm told. Just do what I want. Yeah, so it's, 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 it must be hard going from, yeah, that background to... Well, I mean, to be fair, it must be difficult at the same time. They must be learning so much from you within the institution. I find that when I go to work in institutions, not just goldsmiths, it's like they know that I'm outspoken. They know I'm not going to, like, beat around the bush about things. So they're like, yeah, cool, come in, come work for us. But then when I start doing that, it's like, uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. How would you say the report was received by higher education in general, by students, by staff? Like, mm. if you could give, like, a overview, that's it. <laughs> Surprisingly, I didn't actually get that much backlash from goldsmith staff. Mm. And I was quite expecting that. It was funny. Yeah. <laughs> Anything that's going to, like, f- make you reflect on your own institution, people usually get in their feelings about. So I was expecting that to happen. But no one was vocal to me about it. Good. So that you didn't have to deal with that. Because sometimes yeah. that can be... But yeah. at the same time, it would be good to hear what their complaints were. Mm-hmm. Because if it's about the content itself or if it's about the research itself, mm-hmm. it'd be good for me to know so that I can equip myself for these conversations. I think one of the things that definitely gets sort of... I mean, we don't hear as much conversation about it because it's so hard to actually voice what's actually happening is the way on campuses you get treated by security and the way we get surveilled on campus as well. Like, Mm -hmm. often it's very difficult when we're getting guests come in for us to be able to get them in and them not feel like they're being othered. And it's really difficult. Like, we're bringing them onto a podcast that's about anti-racism and literally in getting them in the room you're literally experiencing a manifestation of institutional racism mm. and every time I tell people about that if I tell staff if I just just tell people in general they're like really I'm like it's we literally we call it the border <laughs> like it is and but I know that, that that's not just the case in Goldsmiths it's across all universities the way the checkpoints it's horrible but you, but you see when you raise the issue right so Objectively, how they would look at it, objectively in, in uh, air quotes, is that people say it's, it, they're just policing, they're doing their job, right? So 
I was at a dinner the other day and we were talking about those experiences of being policed and being followed by security. And one of the, uh, one of the white guests said, yeah, they, they, they do the same to me. And I'm like, bro, it's not the same. And, and, this, and, this, is, and this is the argument. They, do, they, they would the do that to... the need to relate, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, the need to kind of say, yeah. sorry, sorry. They're saying like... Need... Why? Because it's not as bad. It's no. It's not what you think it is. That's what I'm trying to say. Even not saying that. It's like if I want to say, oh yeah, me too. Me too. I think fundamentally, when people tell you something that's like this, quite deep, people always try to find a personal relation to what you're saying anyway. Mm -hmm. So like, if it was, this isn't excusing it at all. But if it was just even something about you know someone in your family had died, might be like, oh yeah, so so Mm. mine, and then (laughs) it's probably quite a deep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, snap. Oh God! No, think of a better example. No, though. but I need you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I got checked on the train. Yeah, yeah. I got fined, and you'd be like, "Oh yeah, so did I." It was really peak. Yeah. Like it's it's kind of like that, but yeah, then yeah. they try to water it down as well mm. by being like, "Oh, well, that happened to me, and I'm white, yeah. so it obviously can't be about it, race." It can't be about race, and I'm saying like, bro, it's not the same. I don't know where we find hope in this because <laughs> the reason why it's difficult to find hope is because we just got this new fascist government come in, and it's like. It's, it, it, it can't get better unless the people at the top are willing to change. But now they're being solidified by their Prime Minister. I just can't mm. see right. how this stuff is not going to just keep increasing. Right, listen, 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 listen. Boom. We're not, st- we're not going to stop coming, right? So what we need to get better at is doing things that, like Leading Roots do. We make our own networks. We support our own people. Mm. Because I, this, is where we, this is where our power lies, right? Because we always create opportunities on the outside. This is where our power is. So we talk, we create something that with other people. Mm. Things are not going to, they're not going to change because they want to maintain the status quo. That's cool. I understand that. I know your history, so it's cool. But I do, we support our own people. So when I get there now, Leading Roots is good because I never had that experience mm. or have this kind of platform where I can yeah. share this experience. And someone can say, listen, that's actually all right to feel like that. Because mm. when I came, I just boiled everyone off because I think, well, you're not my people, isn't it? But what's, but I guess in terms of the work that Sophia's doing and what other. Um, black women, women of colour, black men, like everyone doing mm-hmm. like this sort of diversity work is doing, they're still working within the confines of white supremacy. So you can't, like, if you're day to day and your work is that stuff that's just so violent, like it's hard to find those, like to have the energy to even find those solidarities. Do you know what I mean? But, like, this, but this is this is this is our this is our this is our existence anyway, right? This is your existence anyway. You're in that system. By, by, by hook or crook, you're born yeah. into it. So what we're doing now, things are a lot different from when my parents, when I came over, and our grandparents. So what we're doing is working... So maybe they've just evolved. Yeah, we've evolved as well. Yeah. So it's incremental. It's a, and it's a slow process, and it's painful. And it's not, it's not without its kind of shortcomings, but it's working. Because I see more young black kids going to university. I see... But, but babe, like, black faces in high spaces, that's not... That's not going to dismantle the system. That's not. Gonna... I'm not but nothing's going to dismantle the system. No, yeah. Nothing's going to dismantle the <laughs> system. No one's going to. Nothing doesn't matter. Even though there's a lot of. No one's going to dismantle. It's taken 400 years of them to credit but, power. I know. I hear you. Mm. But I just. I sometimes think it's a bit dodgy relating progress to numbers. No, I'm like, not. No. representation only gets us to a certain but, no, place, but, and I think it gets us to actually quite a minimal space now. But what happens is representation matters because, like I said before, when I was growing up, I didn't see any black people on TV. Does it though? It's not about getting us in the door though, which is the issue. It's it's about what you do once we're in the door Mm. because we're actually overrepresented in higher education. You're overrepresented completely. Yeah, yeah. So people think, oh, well, actually, it's all right because we're getting so many people in, but then we're still getting initiatives like let's raise your aspirations and stuff like that. They just don't get it and don't think they want to get it. Things might have gotten better comparatively if, like, we're talking not even. 
like 50 years ago things yeah. have, like but it's racism has evolved exactly. it's gone more covert and as you were saying with the government it's probably going to become more overt over mm. time but it just means that they keep delaying and delaying and i found with academia they're like okay we'll produce another report oh we need recommendations on this oh we need a strategy for this but then nothing ends up moving no, nothing ends no, up but happening but I'm you get confined in what you're actually doing the, the system the system remains the same it always has remained the same. So it doesn't matter how many, how many iterations we go through, it's the same system, right? Mm-hmm. But what has changed? I've changed. And when I'm saying people, it matters. It matters to see my people there. So when I, when I worked in the city, I didn't see no black people. So mm-hmm. I made it my choice to go to see my end to say to kids, listen, you can be in this space too. No, T, I can't agree with you on this because that no. that's capitalist logic and it's completely neoliberal as well because we know... You have changed. Mm. That I agree with that. Mm. The system hasn't changed. Mm. That doesn't mean that we're getting equity or that we're. Well, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't say that. I know, I didn't but say that. Being, I, being able to see yourself, being able to see Trevor Phillips on Question Time. I'm not talking about. Trevor, I'm not talking about Trevor Phillips. No, but no, but you're talking was, about representation. I'm talking about. I'm talking about me, us, us, yeah. normal people. Yeah. Going out, so me, when I go to the ends and say to kids, listen. Like we can be in these spaces, like and and, ex- and experience extreme racial violence. Uh, and yeah, yeah, we can. We, we but, can what, but, but but do you know what I mean? Like so, I don't want. Uh, so that's I know, what but, we want. but this is the system anyway, right? You're actually going to experience it wherever you go, I right? Know, but so so what are you going to do? You're going to sit at home and do nothing. That's but that's not but, binary. No, 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 it's not no, binary, no. I, I, I know, but what are you going to do? You have to do something, right? So what I'm going to do? Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to take it. I'm going to get my opportunity and do what I need to do. But you're, but you're not going to get your opportunity because I'm going to keep moving the goalposts and I'm going to keep telling you, no, actually, that's not going to Actually, you're not going to the and right I'm gonna, Actually, you're not going to keep coming. Dismantle. You can't... You but, can't... But how do you black, dismantle... Black people... How are you going to dismantle a system? Black how you people dismantle in system? high spaces does not give you I know, what you're, but, I know, what you're but, saying. I know, but, but I didn't say anything. I'm just, I didn't say we dismantle a system, but I'm saying you need, you, need, you need those people going there. You need to keep going. I'm not saying you need to keep going, but I'm just saying to you, if you have a vice chancellor that's black... That's mm. running a that's running an institution like like that we're sat in now. Mm. That's not that's I, not going to get listen, you. Listen, but, but like I, said, I didn't say it was going to get us equity, right? But you but, did. You no, no, but I said seeing stuff that it gives, it, 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 it sends a signal. It's symbolic. Like Obama coming president, it, it wasn't going to change the world. I knew it wasn't going to change, but it's symbolic because I thought it's something that was un, unachievable, unachievable coming from where we've come from. Unachievable. I don't. When I, I, I think I, it's really. I think it's. A, I think it's quite a flimsy argument. I think it's very easy to dis. Particularly using Obama as well. That's like no, 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 that's but, representation one hundred and one. No, but no, but, no, but you understand something that was unachievable, right? Something I thought was unachievable in my life. So though. what is? So what is in in the notion of institutions and higher mm-hmm. education? What are you saying progress is? I'm saying. It, well, I I would like to think. I don't know. I don't know, but I want them to be a better experience. When people come in, there's people that I know they can talk to, other groups that they can rely on. Because what, like, when I went, it was a lonely place, man. And in the end, I disengaged. Mm. And when I disengaged, and it was a whole experience where I didn't know where I wanted to belong because my mum was proud because I got into an institution. But now I'm in this place, I'm in this place that I don't fit in. So what we're she's... saying, but what we're saying, <clears throat> that hasn't changed. Yeah, it's still lonely. It's still racist. <laughs> it's still all these things. It hasn't. It hasn't changed. All there is is more of us in the same room. And in most cases, there isn't that many of us. We just happen to be in London, where you see more black students. It's still a very white space. Mm-hmm. T. It goes back to your theory mm. that, well, not your theory, the thing that you live by. White people have to talk to each other about their behaviour. <laughs> we have done enough. Yeah, we've done enough. Yeah. But, We've done enough. But this is always that's always debate. But it's having 
like I said to you, like in terms of like I said, the historical soup, they're on the other, they're on the wrong side of history in terms of demographics and how things are going. So I say we do love each other. <laughs> <laughs> this is just what we do. This is just what we do. It's like um. Yeah, no, that was a good conversation. No, listen, listen. Yeah. It's, 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 just, it's just a debate, isn't it? But like I said, when I go, I don't want the situation to become like as polarised as it is in the States, right? But I, what we do need, and I see something that works in Wednesday, is like black universities, man. I see that in a... I know, I hear you. No, I'd, sometimes I'm like, yeah, we need it. Other mm-hmm. times I'm like, we can't, like, like what we were talking earlier to Ez about, mm-hmm. intra-ethnic issues like masculinity and patriarchy like we haven't even we haven't even got because we're dealing with so much racism we haven't even got time to, ha- to yeah, handle yeah, yeah. those so even if we created those spaces you've still got the absolute fuckery of sexism but does to it, it actually even mean? change anything anyway yeah like they've got attainment gaps at um mm-hmm. historically black colleges well, oh, but then sometimes i do hear what Tisa's saying like particularly when we do our black in academia events like, i love it so much like it's so like healing like it's mm. so nice being in that space like not feeling like you're under a gaze, not feeling like you've got to, like, prove yourself, not feeling like you've got, you're asking any stupid questions, just feeling comfortable, that comfort, you can't yeah. underestimate that, and that's possibly what a college yeah. like that But imagine give if, like, you've gone straight from high school, maybe you went to a high school that was predominantly black, and then you went to a university that's predominantly black, and then you go into the workplace that's white. <laughs> you're not going to be equipped on how to deal with that, and if anything, you might actually fall further from grace than if you were in more of a mixed place yeah, I, and, I do and learning how to deal it? with that. I, it must yeah, because so you have hard. to equip yourself and how to deal with so this is one of the issues I had when I was doing mentoring and going into schools in, East, in the East End Stepney Green School is 99% Bangladeshi boys so for five years their whole reality is Islam and they don't understand so one of the things I was trying to say to them said do you know when you leave here no one cares about Ramadan like no literally mm. no one cares mm. and it's so they, there is that there is that danger that you become ghettoized. Yeah, you, yeah, you become and you become ghettoized. You don't want to venture out of that yeah. your own comfort zone. So th- that is definitely a danger, man. So how do you accommodate for that? Mm. Fuck knows, man. Yeah. But the fact is, that we have to discuss everything is on the table because right now the situation is fucked, right? Yeah. So everything's on the table. So yeah. you have to have these kind of debates because we need to find a way to kind of. Like I said before, white people, you need to fix up, man. Like, I've done everything. We've done the labour. Yeah. But equally, while that's going on, what do we need to do? <laughs> One of the conversations I said, we've always been doing that work. Black people have always been talking to ourselves about how we're going to get ourselves out of this situation. Mm-hmm. And that comes across in many different avenues through religious avenues or whatever it will be. We've always organised ourselves to try and make the best of the situation that we're in. In 2020, what are we going to do right now to help ourselves? And that means having serious debates and talking about things, intersectionality that comes into it, gender and race comes into it. We need to have these conversations with ourselves. The problem is, I feel like, mm. I agree with what you're saying, but I don't think we've got the space to even do that because whiteness is so, white supremacy is so invasive, racism is so invasive. Mm. It's also a white pastime to try and water things down. So let's talk about gender and let's talk about sexuality <laughs> and let's talk about these other things because then that way they don't have to talk exclusively <laughs> about race. So we're not even having that conversation <laughs> yet. But I almost feel like with the work that we're doing, we're right on the other end and we should be going to the beginning. Oh, like, nice. I think, yeah. yeah, yeah, back to basics. Yeah, yeah I feel like like if compulsory education actually taught students what it sh- they should be learning about colonialism, race, power dynamics, how governments work, all of that kind of stuff, then 
you know, we'll be saying like things aren't going to improve for the next couple of decades, but maybe when that lot get older, and I think maybe we need to go back to thinking like that, but whilst also making changes on this end rather than just on this yeah, end. When you're growing up. Because we're already working you. in a really privileged space anyway. We're yes. all university educated in university. We're working in a privileged space. What about the ones that don't even get to that stage? But you see, this is the thing. So there's always, like, again, I was talking about in the last podcast, there's the educational piece that's key and vital to this. What do people know about themselves? Mm. And the position of power, they don't need to know much, right? And under, and under the gaze of, of nationalism, a narrative is created to prevent it, prevent to present things in a certain way. So even if you were to write stuff about colonial history, how would that colonial history be written? Yeah, well, I guess that's the that's part of the decolonizing <laughs> yeah. movement, isn't it? It's whose voices you include in that, how you teach it, what you teach, what mm. you omit from that. So, I mean, if we were going off of like national curriculum, it would be, end up being written by the mm. the colonialists. So, yeah. if we could decolonize compulsory education, then I don't that's know if it's so been naive, but I think but, but exactly. government, exactly. but exactly. majority, but you see, but that's where got Britannia's people, coming through, know, like. <laughs> yeah, and you've got people thinking that we were once this really glorious empire that did no harm, and mm. like that's how we got Churchill on the five pound notes. Like we're just going to forget everything else that he did just because he saved the war, like but, saved but again, us from war. But it's it's to again like when you when it's like looking at things like Stuart Hall we spoke about earlier, it's like trying Stuart Hall and Paul Gilroy trying to understand that these primordial things that we consider as like of nationality and races that they're not stagnant things, right? They're moving feasts, mm-hmm. and then trying to if you understood it and understood empire in those contexts, you understand that you're from everywhere, right? And you understand your impact on a place mm-hmm. and why people are in your spaces. But this is not how it's going to be taught because no. the idea of, of a nation, again, it's an imagined community. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to keep people together, especially after Brexit, and they're, they're so desperate to keep this island together, they present a certain narrative. <coughs> and you can see in the films that come out in the cinema, in mass culture, like 1917 and all oh, these things. Oh, loves a good war film. <laughs> I'm so bored of it. Like, literally. Yeah. yeah, it's difficult. Like, I just... I agree with what you're what you're saying to, but I guess in light of yeah the recent election, we've never been further. I think. Well, no, we probably have been further. Oh, we have been further. We have <laughs> but been it feels further, like yeah. we're very far away from any kind of decolonised um, primary. Mm. Secondary I think that's just what happens in history, isn't it? Like there's some progression and then it moves back a bit, and then there's some progression and it moves back yeah. a bit. But again, like, just yeah, I, I don't I mean, feel very hopeful to be completely honest with no, you. No, I don't either. No, I'd, in the everyday life, <laughs> so I, need to get better. <laughs> I need to know, this is part of my New Year's resolution, I need to get better at living so in the I present. Because, yeah. Sophia, if we, if we try and think optimistically okay. about the present, then we can find hope, I think. If we mm. think about the next four years or the next three years... Listen, it's gonna see what makes me happy. When I sit in a room with, and I see with people like yourself and I'm hearing the work that you're doing, I think, wow, that's powerful. That's yeah. powerful in itself. And then I shit on that and I'm like... Oh. No, it, no, it's a powerful thing. And then and, and, and to say and to stand, to stand up and talk about a system that you're in, in a contrary way, it's a powerful thing to do, right? It is. And, I and, and you, people, I you, can't, you can't do that because most people aren't even doing it in their lifetime. I completely second that. Yeah. Like, you're writing your report, doing the work you're doing now... Like, it's so important. But, yeah, like I said, like, to, to find things that are positive about, like, I look at people and I think, right, like, that, that's a big thing. And I think, like, it's those little tiny things that people don't look for. So that's your representation yeah. is good. People that are questioning the system that look like you. Mm. People that are questioning the system and saying how the system could be better for us. I must say, though, I think partly of 
why I feel so comfortable being outspoken is because we're part of the generation that is so outspoken and we're kind of in a way protected by social media in that way because we can go straight and say whatever we need to say about an institution without having to go to the press or whatever. You can just do it on your oh, own platforms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I spoke to an academic at a different university. He's a, he's worked at this institution for decades. There's been so many people, younger people, that have come up like after him and that have gone right up to professorial level and whenever he's trying to be, tried to be outspoken, the university have always clamped down on him and they've, I mean, now he's got family, so he's like, what do I do? But he was saying to me before, like, he was like, I really wish that I could have been more outspoken. And I was like, but we're from different generations and we had that conversation, like, for you to have done that decades ago would have probably meant the end of your career, whereas for us to do that now, it might actually help your career, conversely. Yeah. And so I think we have to reconcile with that as well, is that there's... There's different levels. There's people that are even really well established in their career that won't be outspoken, mm-hmm. even though they know that they're protected because of their reputation. And that's something that I also just can't. That upsets get back. me. Yeah, well. yeah. Thank you. It's <laughs> <laughs> upsetting. Shit. I thought you were about to do. <laughs> I know it's taking bits out of you, but do you know when things are going to start to get better? When it gets a bit warmer. Anti-racist work in the heat is better than anti-racist work what? in the winter. Do you mean, like, literally? Yeah. <laughs> As in, when the summer comes, it's easier to do this no. work. How long have you been working at the university for now? At Goldsmiths? Yeah. Um, just about two years, two just years. under. But I've worked at different unis as well. Right. I think it's not about the weather. <laughs> I think it's more of the fact that the higher I seem to go up, the Sorry, less... Sorry, that was a joke, by the way. Yeah. No, <laughs> the higher I seem to go with my career in this work, the more I'm expected to silence and be more careful about what I'm saying and yeah, the terms yeah. I'm using, and that just doesn't and, and that, match my values or my morals. And, and, and that's what you have to be happy with your soul. With that. That's why I left banking, yeah. because it's not my soul. So you have to think to yourself, am I willing to sacrifice my soul mm. for this institution? Exactly, and I'm absolutely not. So, so like, if I can do something outside of the, the institution, then I'd be happy to. Like, I've been considering doing more grassroots stuff anyway because I just, I don't know. Also, academia is so... Um, Rigid, inflexible. Yeah, and, and egotistic-driven, yeah. and, you know, it's expected that you have a PhD. So, like, I think once people realise that I don't have a PhD, they're like, oh. Because, mm. obviously, I've... You do not need a PhD. You are so better... You are so impressive... <laughs> And you have written some brilliant stuff. Better than some people that have got PhDs. So fuck them. You know, all I want is just an honorary degree. So, Lancaster, (laughs) give me one, please. Because then you don't have to do it. Give Sophia an honorary degree. You're giving them out to all the black people now. Give them. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Please, I'm I'm waiting. My email address is. Give give some out. Give some out. Reasons to be optimistic. Finding solidarity is what he said. Yeah, finding solidarity is, man. Like. You see, when you like, it all comes down to like, like you said yourself, that, that grassroots, you know, like your, your people to find. When I when I do mentoring and speak to the kids, it's I, I see them and I think to myself like, I don't want you to go through the madness that I had, and I, I, mm-hmm. I've got and I've got some insights into the institution. I've got some insights into them worlds, mm-hmm. and so you can be yourself and and move in them places still. And the skills that you've got now are just as vital and, and skillful and useful in those spaces. When I started working, I conformed right. So when I come from, I feel like I lost a piece of myself. Mm. And for a long time, you're lost. Yeah. And, but I'm lost, but I'm making money. It's because I'm making good money. So I'm, I'm distracting myself with materialism, buying things, boom, 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 boom. And then mm. one day, I'm lost and I'm mad, mad depressed. <laughs> what are the things that you think 
you have learned when in doing racial justice work and social justice work within institutions what are the things that you feel like you've learned along the way that definitely or to some extent gives you tangible results where you can see that it actually affects change so a lot of people that listen to this podcast are lecturers and academics like mm. if you were given like five bullet points on what you think that they can do within their practice whether it's lecturing whether it's how they talk to students whether it's how they're putting their curriculum together what are things that you've definitely found that are tangibly making a difference within the sector so just to say i feel like one of them which is really good and we were talking to michael wrote the thing in the guardian about oh yeah it, yeah yeah, yeah. We were talking to about it on the podcast before mm. is sort of introspection and like, even though you're a sociologist and you've done work on, and this counts for like us as well, you've done work or written about race and racism. That doesn't necessarily mean you're living it within your practice, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that the actual black and brown students that you're teaching have to do something to ad- adapt to your style. It needs to come back onto you. What are you doing? What are you perpetuating? What are you thinking about? How are you interrogating your position in society? And as Sophia said in the beginning, that liberalism sort of. M- acts as like a mask where you don't have to do that work on yourself yeah, I, but again because liberalism throws around those terms of like meritocracy and mm. and they're so kind of ingrained into the kind of mindset and you're in school it's all about graded and your your, your grades are going to dictate your future mm. but we know there's other factors at play yeah but this isn't this is not the kind of narrative that's kind of played up if you're an ethnic minority you know because your mum will say to you you need to work twice as hard three times and I said that at the, one of the lectures of that I said has your mum ever had that conversation with you? Never. One of the things that just made what I just thought about then, T, and it, it, I think it does relate to higher education. Yeah. So in my PhD, like you know, I talk about whiteness within black mixed race families mm. and whiteness within white towns, right? So I was on a podcast the other day, um, Busy Being Black podcast, check it out, it's really good. And I, um, it's presented by Josh Rivers, and basically he's spoken about mixed race families a lot on his podcast. And Basically, he had a white woman email into the podcast to ask what advice he would give to her because um, she's having a black kid. She's ha- had a kid with a black guy. And he asked me to give her some advice. And I feel like, whether it's within intimate settings like the family or whether it's within other sort of intimate settings like institutions or universities, we always try and think about how the... In, the, in these cases, the white body or the white person or white, someone that benefits from white supremacy can learn from the black child in this case. But actually, what I say, what I said to that, my response to that woman was, the stuff needs to start with you. You need mm-hmm. to recognise your position in society, how that might differ from your child, how that might differ from how they're going to be treated in spaces. What are the things that have happened to you in your life that you think were possibly or facilitated by or conditioned by white supremacy? That is so much harder than learning about fucking Caribbean culture. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's so difficult. But you see, like, no, right. Sorry, that's a very homogenous term to use. It's got to come back. To, to, yeah, listen, the white people need to do the work, right? But it's not necessarily white people, it's that white supremacist structure. Like, how is my, so in the case of this woman, how mm-hmm. is her position in white supremacy compared to her child? Mm-hmm. And in the case of the academic, how what is your position at the front of this lecture talking about racism? And you're someone that's benefited in, uh, massively from white supremacy. What is your position like for the black? student in the audience which is that I don't know if I'm uh, you know I get, definitely what you're making sense it makes but and the, one, of the, one of the questions I asked at this, at this lecture I said 
your problem is you never considered what it's like to be me. Mm. And that is a mind blow. Like, I know your position. Mm. I've seen that power, but you've never taken the time to think about what it's like to be me. And what I'm saying, I agree with you, but in order to get to that place, I think they need to consider what it's like to be them in comparison to us. I think, I think, I think, think when, when I, my first girlfriend that I went out with, she was white and she experienced racism for the first time. What, as in being with you? Yeah, as in being with me, right? In proximity, yeah. Proximity to me, yeah, yeah. right? So the violence. And it's that shock, that misunderstanding, a world that she knew that was very familiar, mm. all of a sudden that people who are close mm. to her, her sister, her dad, all these people were being very, very, very nasty to her. Mm. And it, it that, for, it's trying to kind of see how, how they would see the world. And that's a shock to them because mm. she didn't understand what that meant. Yeah. And, it's in, and then once you have the understanding, and it, it, that was a long process, man, mm. to understand what that world was like. And, that, and then she, that's when she started researching the Irish problem and how Irish people were marginalised. And mm-hmm. that gave them a better understanding. But it's how, how do you get someone to that point? Yeah. And just a caveat, I'm not saying interracial relationships at all help you at any point understand race <laughs> or help you your racial literacy. <laughs> I'm just making it, yeah. trying to give an example of how, like, even in that intimate space, yeah, even yeah. having that, even your white girlfriend experiencing that, yeah. it was only through those experiences or that proximity to racism that she was possibly able to see. But yeah. that, that might not have happened. There might not have ever been racism, mm. but she still wouldn't have been able to see, mm-hmm. even though she's in a relationship with you. And this could go back to, yeah, but like students said, and lecturers. Like, it's... Until, until, until there's a... A, re, a reposition, a reposition of un, the, un, their understanding of race or how they see themselves, then you're always going to have this problem. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, to you, we've done, I've done all I can, all I can, legally, extra legally, sorry, sorry, extra judicially, sorry, outside. So everything, everything, everything we've done, we've done everything, right? But what else can we do? Like, I can't do no more, man. I've used reason, prayed to God. What can you do, right? I think I agree with what you were saying, Chantal, about, um, you know, having your own self-reflection, mm. and that's the first step, but then it's getting them to that point. Yeah. Where are we? No, so then, then, yeah, and exactly, then you go to you, and it's like, well, what do we do? Yeah, what do you Because you're going to have to be like, you need to be doing this, you need to be doing this, but you can't hold their hand all the mm-hmm. way through it. And it's and it's their privilege of that they have themselves and the fact that they can even think they can ask you, Oh, how do I raise a mixed race child? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When like the internet, like go on Google me. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't make sense. Like I, I guess that is part of the privilege, yeah. isn't it? That they know they could just go up to you and be like, Oh, tell me about racism. Yeah, like out of the blue, like Mm. And, 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 and that's the maddest was that that means they're consciously aware that they understand that this thing goes on, so they can ask an I don't expert. Know if it's conscious though, I think it's unconscious because they they might not be able to articulate why they feel that they could go up to you and touch your hair, ask you these questions, <laughs> or do whatever. But they know that they can. Mm-hmm. So, and I yeah. think that's the yeah. issue. Sophia, that's big, man. I like that. That is big. I like that. 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 That's definitely big in the game. Um, that's all you got. That's all you're getting. That's all you're getting. That's all you're getting. <laughs> so in terms of so introspection, anything else? Or decolonising the curriculum? If you want to go like absolute bare minimum basics, look at your reading lists. Like mm-hmm. it's not at all a solution, but it might give you a bit of an insight into how 
Eurocentric and Western your canon is. Oh, please. Sociology departments, we're talking to you across the UK because that's where we're based and that's what we know. Some of some of your reading lists are just, like, unbelievable. <laughs> and you're supposed to be, like, yeah. the leaders on inequalities in society and you're literally just constantly perpetuating this same mm. canon, which is... Western-centric, Eurocentric, just yeah, but really I, problematic. But I, 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 yeah. say, I, I don't think you There's can... so many of you as well. Some you know who most... you are. You're probably listening to this. <laughs> Some of the most, like, <laughs> ignorance I've experienced from lecturers have been social scientists. Oh, so honestly. I, I remember in, when I was We're in college, um, my teacher said to me, I remember he's like, Morris, if you're listening, hi. <laughs> um, <laughs> he was basically, like, saying as if it was determined, like, if you're black... From a single parent household. What's his name? Morris, just in case anyone forgets. <laughs> I've forgotten his last name, but. <laughs> <laughs> he was a very old white guy. So he said. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> he was basically like if you're black from a working class background, you will, not you may, you will end up pregnant or in prison and uneducated. And I was like, like, bearing in mind, when I was in college, I'd grown up with just all white people. Yeah. Like, even my siblings, because I'm mixed race. My yeah. siblings have... They, they're quite white passing. Mm. They, they don't have the hair like me. They don't have the same shade as me. They're, yeah, so we've had very different experiences of race, whereas I've been called the N-word, C-word, everything, and they've never, ever experienced mm. that. So it's... Yeah, so basically I just grew up in just pure, like, thing of whiteness. Um, and I was like, grew up in East London, which was one of, like, the... Last white strongholds is Romford. Are you East the East Enders are taking over this podcast. I swear. It's only rolling. It's only rolling. It's only rolling. It's only rolling. But I went to high school in Brentwood, so it was very, very white. It's super white, man. Yeah, it's getting more diverse now, but... Yeah, anyway, where was that? So... So I was still, I was quite ignorant about a lot of things to do with race. Like, mm. I internalised a lot of racial self-hatred. Mm. Like, I wouldn't like to be you to ever identify me with any proximity to my African heritage at all. Like, I would have been offended. It was really? that deep-rooted. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So when did it change? When did you, like... Leaving um, these white spaces. It's not like she's about. They yeah. are so violent. And they make you internalise so much anti-blackness. Like, it's a problem. It probably changed... When I went to college was when I first started opening my eyes because it's the first time I ever had black friends. <laughs> so, yeah, they kind of opened my eyes to a bit of my ignorance. When I went to university, I studied abroad in North Carolina for a year. So, you know, wow. super racist state, seceded from the Union twice because they love slavery. Um, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> They do. They, they, yeah. They do. <laughs> Make the KKK roam around in those parts, you know? Still. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, especially now that Trump's in office. But when I was there, Obama was in office, so people were a bit more polite, I guess. Polite about their racism. Yeah. On the, my first day there, I got called a mulatto. Did you? Yeah. But I didn't even know what that word meant. So you see, like, my knowledge was really, like, I've had a lot of period of growth over the past, like, five years. Mm. Um, and then... The way people identified me as well, because they were like, you're African and meh, but you're not American, you're African and uh, like, and they couldn't figure out what to call me. Trying to you. Yeah. And I was like, we don't do that. Like, well, I don't think yeah, we do yeah, that no. um, But yeah, and then I had, I had black friends over there, and then they, you know, they were scared of police. 
And it was, you know, the Ferguson protests were happening at that time as well, obviously in a different area. So the fact that they were scared of police, and, you know, they were making jokes about being, you know, driving masks black and stuff like that. And so it was brought to me into my, like, lived experience. So then I started picking up on that. So when I was driving with them, like, we have been pulled over by police when I was in America, and it's scary. Oh and that was the time that I think it really opened my eyes. But my the wildest story, you're probably not going to believe this. So I went to Compton. Yeah, it was pretty, like, it's... Um, you know the game? Like, uh-huh. this got, you don't have to include this. It's a ridiculous yeah, no, story. Okay. His dad's... Like his stepdad does tours of Compton, right? And I saw it on Vice, so I was like, oh, yeah, come, I'll do it. Um, anyway, it was just him and I going around Compton. He's, like, showing me all these spots. And you know where the corner of where Rodney King got beaten by police? He decided to let go of the brake pedal and he rolled into the back of a police car on that corner. And we was, I was like, fuck. Anyway, these two police cars, the officers got out the car... Yeah, it was crazy. And they came over. One was, like, mad angry. And I saw this guy, a big guy, probably bigger than you, like, just turn into, like, a boy while these police were, like, going, what, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? Like, letting go of the brake, blah, 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 like, your reckless driver. Like, he literally just rolled into the back and went, like, deep. But, yeah, no it, was, it was scary. It was really scary. I was, like... When we spoke about it afterwards, he was like, you know, you should let them know you're British because they probably won't do nothing then. Mm-hmm. So in that moment, I was like, all I have is my accent. Maybe mm-hmm. they'll be like, oh, shit, like, you don't want an international incident. But, yeah, it was scary. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, America is what really opened my eyes up. And then mm-hmm. then I reflect back to a lot of the things I let slide when I was growing up here, which is mad. Like, that's a really long-winded story. But, but, no, but I know, but I think that's a similar experience. So, like, I had that same thing... In the, in the effort to fit in, you let shit slide. Yeah. You let shit slide. And yeah. then one day you think, fuck that, man. Mm. Like, but while that's happening, you start thinking, like, I left that. I think, should I say something? I feel I feel I should have said something. Yeah. And it's a, it's a horrible feeling, man. But I think now we feel kind of confident. I feel confident enough to, to, to check people, to say, like, listen, listen fix up, man. Mm-hmm. Or, like... It's a problem for you, right? Thank you so much for joining us, Sophia. Thanks for having me. Absolutely brilliant. We'll put in the episode guide the link to your report if you haven't read it already. Inside Outside is brilliant. And congratulations, because you've just got a new job, haven't you? Tell Uh, us about your job. You're still working at Goldsmiths, but also (laughs) what what you're doing. Who are you working with as well? (laughs) I don't mean to. Um, So I'm working with Afwa Hirsch. Really? (laughs) Yeah. She's like a genius, man. She's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Favourite boss of all time. Brilliant. So we're working at University of Southern California, but the London campus. Okay. So I'm her assistant lecturer. So she's she is teaching on government and public affairs reporting. Wow. So I've I've learned so much how just you, from how sitting in class with... Listen, I'm going to fanboy yeah. you. I'm not going to stalk you. So please, can, can I... so love her. Yeah, she's, she's amazing. Well, if there's ever a chance, I can... Yeah, listen. But no, just, it's just the fact that... And that's what I'm saying. It's those little moments when I see yeah. you to be proud of that. I mean, that's a powerful thing, man. Because she's a powerful person. She's yeah, she's amazing. Because it's nice to have a boss where you don't have to water down your language and exactly. you can talk really explicitly about <laughs> things that you go through. It's it's funny because our class is made up mainly of white students and we just talk about race a lot, mm. and yeah, but, see, which I quite like. And white people look hurt, man. They look hurt sometimes. But the best but thing... But the students are really it's great. It's amazing to have an amazing boss, but you're amazing as well. Mm-hmm. There'll be so much that she's learning from you as well. That's what's really important as mm-hmm. well. I never like deep that. Back so. yourself, girl. Come on. No, we have I to back, back ourselves. <laughs> we have to. Yeah, we have to. It's deep, man. It's good. Thank you so much for joining us, guys, and we'll see you next week. See you hey. next week. 
thank you for listening to Surviving Society. Please support the podcast by rating, following and subscribing on your preferred podcast platform. And please consider supporting the production of the podcast by joining our Patreon community. For a couple of copies per week, you can help us maintain and sustain this platform in an ethical way.